Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and I'm really excited about today's episode. Today's guest is a leader in change management and project management with specific experience in business process, IT service management, IT strategy and management, and holds an ITIL certification. He's currently the ITSM change manager at Sage Therapeutics. Welcome, Corbin Kimberling. Welcome, Corbin. Thank you. I'm very uh, excited to be here. Really excited to have you and uh, really appreciated the pre-podcast uh, conversation that we had to prepare for today. So I'm really looking forward to coming over here. And I, I want to also tell the audience that this is, uh, you are the second guest from Texas this week, which is awesome. So we had somebody from uh, East Texas on the show earlier. Uh, not sure if all these shows will come out at the same time, but um, it's it's fun. I've been able to interview some people from Texas and then from my uh, original home state of New Jersey. So uh, it, it's been fun to just be able to visit with people from all over the country. So it's been great. So I, I want to start off as, as we do with the show and ask you your perspective on what you think is the biggest challenge you see facing the deskless workforce today. What's your take on that? So the way I see it um, and working, I actually had a, uh, I work with a small company now, but I worked for a, a company before this for 26 years as a large um, soda uh, company. And so uh, they had a lot of frontline people. And I, I think when we, I think the, the, the most, um, the biggest problem that they have is when things come down to them on their their iPads or their computer, uh, any kind of those applications that they don't know about and they haven't heard about, and they're they don't understand how it works. Uh, things you know they've been using things for you know some sort of application for a while and they got it down and then they're they're at some sort of place where they're having to rush and get things done and all of a sudden they open up their app and things have changed and they didn't know about it and they don't know how to run it. And so then they flood the, the help desk or the service desk with all sorts of questions. And then, you know, at some point, you know, some senior director VP gets called and, uh, you know, everyone's uh, trying to figure out what's going on. So I think that's the biggest, uh, the biggest hurdle that they have out there in the field. It sounds like the way you've described that is uh, perhaps a bit of uh, communication gap on the front end of some of those changes. Is that a fair way to, to describe what you're explaining there? Exactly. So yeah, there's a, there's a big gap between where the, especially in a big company like that, um, uh, getting the information, and even in a small company that I work for now, getting that information from where the programmers and the application and the infrastructure, all the IT people are working hard trying to make their world better, but they're not getting that information out to the frontline people to say, hey, you know, this is going to, this is better, this is how it works, this is, you know, so um, that's 
I think that's where the gap is. And there's a big gap there that they aren't getting that information. Yeah, I have to say, since we've been doing this change management series on the podcast, and I've, I've been very fortunate to make a whole bunch of new friends with, you know, change management uh, backgrounds. I've really been enlightened to learn how many things are really overlooked in many cases. I think that's been one of my biggest takeaways. And it really speaks to, you know, I've heard a lot of folks that have been pro-sci certified uh, that talk about the ag car model and that awareness and desire phase before we even try to teach somebody how to do something, we need to raise the awareness and, and create that desire with the, the folks that we're, you know, we're trying to implement change with. And it seems to be such a common theme when we're, we're learning from, from the folks in the podcast and in, in the real world that um, that's really a big gap right now. And, and I wonder if, if you've got any um, you know, experiences that you can share or perhaps best practices about how maybe to solve that before it happens in, in large organizations. I say large organizations, I guess it could be smaller organizations too. Right, exactly. Um, it can happen in you know, any kind of size of a, of a company. Um, so I think, you know, the, the backline people that create these, um, you know, new changes to applications, new changes to infrastructure, you know, they, they have the, you know, their, their intention is to help out and to make it better. And a lot of, a lot of times the, uh, what's going, what's causing these changes are the people that are on the front line. They're saying, hey, they're, they're sending a, a ticket out saying, hey, it would be better if it worked here. And, and I think the assumption is, well, if I go out there and change that, that everyone's going to celebrate me and I'm going to be, you know, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. And they forget. It's exactly what that, they've asked for. Exactly what they've asked for, you know, <laughs> but that was one person. And that one person maybe in a, in a specific place where they may not understand what all the other people are going through. And so all of a sudden they, it gets out there. And, and, and so what, what change management does and, and, and what we, or our intention is, is before something gets into the production world, you know, we get in front of that and we, might, we talk to uh, the, all the stakeholders, not just the backline programmers and infrastructure, but we're talking to the senior VPs, the ones that's gonna get a call at three o'clock in the morning that something isn't working right. Uh, we have all those stakeholders in a room. Uh, we call that our change board meetings. Everyone hates about hates the cab meetings. Everyone hates the cab meetings, but that's important because that gets all the stakeholders in it in one room, and they can decide. They can talk about what the um, what the impacts could be to the end user. Um, hopefully, sometimes we even have end users, uh, you know, in in the whole mix of that to, to say what, you know, if they see anything, we make sure that it's a good time, that it's not gonna be, you know, when there's a lot of people trying to get onto the application at one time, um, you know, like in the weekend or nights. Um, when you have a big company like um, the company I worked for before, it's a 24 hour company, it's a global. So it's hard to do that. Um, but we also make sure we have a whole list of things and make sure that it's, it was tested and, and not just tested just for that one change, uh, tested to make sure that nothing else has been updated. Um, in fact, at, with my former company, we had a huge, huge outage for an application that cost us, it was it's in the millions and tens of millions probably because we had an application that went in, it was, you know, they tested it, you know, they tested to make sure that that, that test, that 
whatever change was working, it was great, but they didn't do a rig robust test to make sure that everything else didn't break. And it went out there to the production world and it broke everything. And um, they were down for weeks. And because of that, um, our the IT got a bad name. Um, the users were very, very, anytime we tried to do any other changes after that, they were very, very scared about anything that going on. We had to you know, talk about um, change management went from who wants to go through change management to, hey, change management is the best, you know? So, um, you know, we look for those things. We look for uh, making sure that there's a good backup plan. They, you know, at that time that they actually said that they had a good backup plan, but obviously they didn't and it, you know, they couldn't back it out. And so that was a big deal. Um, you know, things like that, um, making sure that um, there's, uh, proper communication, proper training of the of the uh, end users, make sure that they understand what those changes are. And then uh, we also have the help desk or the, the service desk also in our CAB meetings to make sure that their understanding of when is this going to go in? Will, will this cause any kind of calls uh, to the help desk that they'll have to field? Are there knowledge articles written to uh, in case there are issues? that uh, people can, co can, that the help desk can go look at to fix any issues that they might come or that might come when they put that into the production world. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot there that I actually, <laughs> that, uh, I spit a lot out there. Yeah. No, there's a lot there. And actually I want to pause right there for a minute because I want to come back to some of the things that you talked about, but I'd like sure. to give the audience some context about who you are how you ended up in the role that you're in, a little bit about your history. So okay. I'm going to pause it. I've taken a couple of notes as you were describing those things that I'll come back to when we get there. But tell me about your current role and, and what you do throughout your day. And, you know, give us a little bit of the history about how you ended up in the job that you ended up in. Okay. Well, first of all, so I am, uh, I'm an old uh, mainframe programmer, uh, COBOL, JCL, all that stuff. And um, so uh, I was, so I was in applications um, and then moved into operations of, of the mainframe world, uh, which was really fun uh, to do that. So I learned uh, that whole background. And then I went into, for a little bit, into batch uh, scheduling for, for mainframe and mid-range uh, type of thing. That's, so that was, um, so yeah, I learned a lot about the whole company and how it works. Uh, by doing that, it's very interesting. Um, and then, then they, because of all that, uh, they pulled me into change management, and I love it. And the reason I love change management is I'm a very inquisitive person. So you have to. Not everyone's cut out to be a change manager because you are the policeman. And that was one of the things. You know, I'm known. I was known as a, and I still am, a very nice guy. You know, and that was the first thing when they said, "Hey, you want to become a change manager." Um, can you handle saying no? Can you handle saying no to people? And uh, so that was one thing I had to, had to work on is saying, no, you can't put that in at, at five o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, we're going to wait till the weekend or whatever. And, and uh, or just making sure that they're filling out all the forms correctly. Um, so what I do on a normal basis is it's not just looking at the risk and everything. We also um, change management, it's, it's a very controlled 
in most companies, very controlled. There's auditors that look at what you're doing. There's auditors that look at the production world, making sure things aren't getting out there, uh, going to mess things up, going to cost a lot of the company a lot of money. So there's a lot of controls that are associated with that. So we're, lock, we're looking at the controls also. You know, do they have all of the documents in order as far as the testing and the back out and, and all that? So um, that's a that's a big part of my day is, is reviewing those documents just to make sure that they're they're ready to go. And then getting all the, the um, stakeholders involved. Um, if you see, you know, you got to understand the, the company too and your users and how the applications are used and how the infrastructure is used. Um, so that if something kind of, you know, you start reading something, you think, hmm, okay, I need to check, I need to reach out to, you know, Joe over there to, to make sure that they understand that this is coming down because applications can impact other applications. Uh, infrastructure obviously can impact, um, you know, lots of applications. So that's what I do. I, I look, you know, look through, make sure that the risk is, is understood by all the stakeholders and that a good time is, is set for putting those changes in. You know, I think you're the first person to really describe change management as, uh, as a bit of a, a governance role, you know, that that's a little bit different. I've, I've seen it or understood it as almost more of, I think I, I think of it more of an evangelism role, <laughs> right? Um, and maybe that's just because of some of the people that we've talked to on the podcast are really having to evangelize in their organizations for the necessity of change management. So maybe it's just from a corporate culture where they're at from a maturity standpoint in terms of change management, maybe they're still in the evangelism phase where in your former <laughs> employer that you're talking about, it may be a more mature organization. I happen to know the employer and I know that there are a lot of change management folks. I know that that company's made a big investment in change management professionals. So perhaps that just speaks to a little bit of the kind of change management maturity of one company versus the next where, um, you know, you guys were pretty invested in change management, you understood it, and it reached a state of maturity where not only were you uh, evangelizing for, for change and having some structure around that, but you actually had, uh, you know, policy in place to, to audit and manage to that. That's fantastic. Yeah, um, you know, you just assume that most companies have that, but um, I'm, I'm assuming that either they're not remembering when they're talking to you um, or... Um, it's not, it's, they're not doing it at all, but, um, even the, even with Sage that I'm taught that I work with now, um, they're, um, you know, they're growing and they're a small company now, but they, they do, they do have auditors come in every once in a while, their processes on change management are very, um, you know, light. They don't, they don't really push it right now because the company is still small, but I, I, they're, they understand uh, and and I appreciate their their leadership and understanding that that is going to be something that's going to come down when they start um, rolling out uh, their pharmaceutical medicines and FDA gets involved and everything they are going to be audited and these are things that 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 and so they brought me in specifically because they understood that and they need to get ahead of that before that becomes a big problem. Yeah, well, let's face it organizations that are innovating or trying to innovating, or even if they're just trying to keep up, they're changing. Right. And I think th the one thing I guess I'm, I've come to realize about change management is the organizations are going to change. Change management is, is thinking of it proactively. 
And change response is what happens when you haven't put in a good plan and you try to implement new technology and then you're now reacting to all of those things. And so as I think about the different examples of companies and people that we've had on the show, there are different levels of maturity in that. And, and some of these organizations are massive companies that have tens of thousands of employees and have one or two people with change management in their title. And there are other organizations that have the same number of employees and have you know many or dozens of people with change management. I think not that just the numbers alone speak to the maturity in that space, but you can tell just the investment of how they're handling that. And that's not to suggest the folks with fewer change management professionals in the organization aren't doing as much innovation. But what I've learned from this experience as the podcast uh, host here is that I would bet that those companies that have fewer change management professionals are playing a more reactive game uh, than they are being proactive. Exactly. No, I think you're right. Um, you know, I think when you were saying, um, I'm not, I can't remember exactly what you said that, uh, you know, but, but that they are, most of the time they are reactive. And the only time that you get the 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 uh, the importance on change management is when you've reacted to something serious, and um, people, especially the people that you know, we had uh, in my previous job a uh, a director, a senior director actually that was it was really good, uh, very but saw change management as something because she came from the application world and. It was always everyone complained about change management. Oh, it's so much work. It's so much, you know, you have to do all this red tape and everything. And so, so she, she really um, didn't appreciate it um, until something uh, we had uh, actually a data center that went down uh, for a whole day um, because there was a server that was plugged in, just a server that got plugged in. It was supposed to be, you know, not even a, a, the server wasn't even being used. It was just being plugged into the network and it caused an outage. Um, and I don't know exactly what the specific specifics of it was. I wasn't involved in that part of it, but um, we got to be really important in at that point because like, okay, what's going on, you know? And so um, it, it is, it's very important. We are the policemen. Um, and and as I guess, again, the, I, I really appreciate this company I'm working for now because they're really trying to get a hold ahead of that. They haven't had any outages. They haven't had any big outages, yet they're still saying, hey, you know what? We need to get a hold of this before we do have a big outage because uh, once we grow big and if we do have an outage, it's going to be very important to us. Yeah. We, we've talked a lot about that on my team in, in my day job where, um, you know, human nature is what human nature is and all of us have some level of stubbornness and perhaps you know lack visibility to see how big a problem can be until we've experienced it and so you know many times we're we're a relatively small company working with massive companies and you know one of the things i think we always have an advantage of of being on the outside of these large companies is that we talk to a bunch of different companies and so i i can learn experiences from company a and when we come over to company B, we can say, hey, watch out for this thing. We've seen it before. Let's try to look for a plan to be proactive. But if company B hasn't experienced that firsthand, uh, it's, it's sometimes hard to evangelize a new way of doing things until they've experienced that pain. And so unfortunately, for maybe one go around, they have to go into crisis remediation mode first. And then, you know, on the next projects or the next major initiative, they're like, hey, we should really think about, you know, doing something different this time, right? But it's, it's human nature. Uh, I'm not judging at all, uh, but it is an observation that I've seen that 
um, it's, it's hard to accept some of that risk if you haven't been through it before. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. Um, if you haven't gone through it, if you haven't felt the pain, um, you know, that's what we, we, we use that term a lot, you know, until they feel the pain, um, they won't spend the money. So um, it's, you know, but in the long run, it, you know, I think the thing that saved um, a lot of that is are the controls, though. And you were talking about the controls before. Um, the controls really um, force a lot of that, at least in the, um, how can I say this, uh, making sure that at least that they're putting a, a good foot forward, you know, that they have, you know, on the, on the outages that we had, um, they had all that information in there. Now, do, you know, we don't, at that point, we didn't have uh, the time to go into there and, and make specifically, you know, make sure that everything was really buttoned up and that they really good, did good testing. You know, they say they did testing. Okay, that's fine. You know, we just, and as far as a, as a control goes, you know, that was fine. They, they had that there. Um, was it good enough? It wasn't good enough. Uh, we still had the outage. But yet um, that caused us to look back at our processes and say, hold it, you know, is there a, is there a better way to do this? Is there, um, is there, you know, some other people can get pulled into the whole process to make sure that everything is, is looked at better because, you know, as a change management team, we just didn't have the, the resources to do that, but we can, yeah. you can reach out to other people and other stakeholders and, uh, and ask them to help out and making sure that that's, that gets done correctly. Yeah. I also think there's perhaps an opportunity sometimes to, you know, help our stakeholders learn from others' mistakes rather than let them experience it on their own. You know, if, if we can bring to them some examples of other um, teams and people that were in similar circumstances and, you know, here's what they did and what didn't work and here's what they did that worked and let's try to do more of the stuff that worked and we're, you know, allowed them to be successful. Um, you know, I, I think that should be a part of that process, but at the end of the day, you know, again, human nature is, is what it is. And so we're, we're kind of always fighting that battle. You know, one thing that I think is interesting about your background, that's a little bit different from most of the other change management pros that we've, we've had on the show so far is uh, many of them have come up into the change management role through a very different path, right? So your journey is a little bit different. And one of the things I've heard pretty consistently is change management folks talking about the application development teams and talking about the disconnect that they have with the end users and how they are likely to adopt the changes that the application development teams are putting in place, right? So they, they often talk about, well, the app dev devs didn't really understand what the users needed, or they didn't understand how this is going to be absorbed and adopted in the field. And I see that and I get that. I'm curious in your case, you actually came from that side of the house, right? So you were an application developer, you were sitting on the other side. How has that influenced how you think about change management? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. Um, I think that's, you know, the first thing that I think of is empathy. I understand the, the backline people, the application people understand their, um, you know, their, they, they go into school, they go, they take all the training, they do everything, and they go into a, a, a company thinking, I'm just going to program and I'm just going to do this. They don't, and, and I had to, uh, you know, a lot of times in our, 
change management meetings, I have to had to say, you know, hey, these people didn't sign up for change management. They didn't do that. So they're just trying to get their job done. They, they got these specs they got to do and they got a program and they got to put these servers in and everything. And that's what they're, that's what they thought that their world was going to be, you know, and then all of a sudden it's, there's these change management uh, things that they have to do. So the first thing that I try to help is, is making sure that they understand. I, I understand where they're coming from. So I understand it's a lot of work, um, but um, in the training that I've done, and I've done a lot of training, is to make sure that they understand that there is, you know, an impact to what they do, and the people in the field um, appreciate it when there's there's communication to them that they understand what's going to happen, they understand if there's any training that they need to take, um, you know, all that they, that they appreciate that. So I really go into it, and we had thousands of IT people that I trained. You know, throughout the, the years that I was there. And um, just to, you know, they knew me because I, I worked in their field. So that helped a lot. So they understood, oh, there's Corbin. I can, I can talk to him and he'll understand what I'm saying um, to where they, some of the other change managers um, didn't really understand uh, exactly what their changes were. Um, now, when it came to infrastructure, I was an infrastructure person. So, uh, you know, yeah. that was something I had to, under, I had to learn. But I, I understood the the other side of it, so I, I guess to say the empathy empathy was probably the the best thing that helped me through that. And that's interesting, actually. I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the empathy that you're referring to is you're empathizing for yes. where the application developers you're right. putting yourself in their shoes because you had spent a day in their shoes, right? Exactly, exactly. more than probably a day. Uh, which is really interesting because most of the time when we're having the conversation on the show about empathy, we're, we're talking about it in the other direction, right? We're trying to bring empathy for the frontline workers and the experience that they're having in the mix. And I think part of the, the thing that I'm taking away from what you're describing is that change, successful change, isn't just one direction, right? It's, it's not just about the, the people on the receiving end of the change because the change is really bi-directional or multi-directional, right? It's affecting a lot of folks in the organization. And what you just described is a scenario where if we're expecting the application developers to really understand the whole process, then we, we need to treat them with the same empathy or, or different empathy, unique empathy as, as to what we're doing with the frontline workers as well. Exactly, exactly. Um, that was, uh, I think a lot of uh, people in, in ITSM specifically um, not just change managers, but people in incident management and problem management, they're very focused on, you know, I need to get uh, this information in there. I need to get all this information. And the the application people, you know, they, they get kind of run over a lot. And so uh, to have the empathy for that, but also to allow, to, to have them understand that you understand where they're coming from, but you also have to do what you have to do. So that helps them. So when that, in that discussion, when you're having with upper management about change management and about uh, the whole process and to letting them understand that this isn't going to, um, we're not going to try to stop the process. You know, um, I think a lot of people, e even in the company I work for now with Sage, um, there's this 
okay, is this gonna, you know, is this gonna stop it? What if I have something at three o'clock in the morning that has to be put in, you know, do I just stop? Do I, you know, it's like, you know, that's the conversation you have to have. You have to say, no, you don't do that. We got to keep the company going. We got to keep it up. We got to keep it going. And I understand, you know, that, um, that we have all these processes in place, but we also have to have processes in place for emergencies and things like that and uh, help, help the upper management when they're making decisions understand that we're, that, that the business is important. The business is the main, main thing here. And we'll fix everything later as far as getting the process done. But we want we want to have the empathy with both sides to make sure that the business is running. Yeah, I think that's one of the uh, the things that we see a lot with the clients that we work with in in our uh, in our I, I always refer to it as my day job, um, <laughs> which is they have to keep the business running. It's exactly what you just said. And, and so when you think about that in the context of a change discussion and digital transformation discussion, you know, it would be seemingly a lot easier if we could just shut the business down for a month. <laughs> we could let the dust settle. We could regroup. We could train everybody. We could communicate. We could have, you know, all these great meetings to kind of pull everything together, take a breather, and then we're going to relaunch again on November 1st. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah. it just doesn't happen that way. Happen it's that just way. impossible, right? And some of the organizations that we work with are multi-billion dollar organizations. So every day means millions of dollars in revenue to them. And so, you know, taking the men and women out of the field for even a half a day, an hour, two hours, three hours to facilitate this change is just unfathomable. It just can't be done. And so it, it just makes the challenge that much more difficult for everyone involved that, you still need to make the deliveries. You still need to service the equipment. You still need to perform all the job functions. And oh, by the way, you need to absorb all this change at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's it's a big it's a big balancing act that you do. A lot of a lot of balls up in the air that you're trying to to to, to keep up in the air and make sure that the business is running. Um, yet making sure that. Um, well, that the business is running. So you got to, you know, there's, there's, there's that two thing that the business has to be running. So you got to be able to make changes yet. When, when you put changes in, you got to make sure that the businesses continue to run. So it's kind of a, <laughs> yeah, it's no wonder that change, you know, uh, creates so much stress and anxiety for so many people across the organization, because you don't get to let up off the gas on, on all of the things that, um, you have to do normally for your job. And that, you know, you, you've shown me during this call that that affects not just the frontline workers themselves, but it's affecting your development teams and your IT infrastructure teams and everybody else that, um, you know, we've got to absorb all of this change all of the time, but then we also all have like a full eight hour day ahead of us at the same time somehow, you know? Exactly, exactly. I, I want to go back to something that you said in the beginning and the opening when I was asking you about the changes for, um, you know, just the deskless workforce and, and some of the impact that that's had. You mentioned something I haven't heard uh, before, which is um, incomplete testing. And I, I'm really curious about that. I think you make a really interesting point and I'd like you to drill into it a little bit further. What do you mean by that? How does incomplete testing, how is that affecting change and, and adoption of technology? Talk me through that a little bit. Well, when you're talking about, especially like for application changes, so um, you know, for so if I'm talking to someone that's that's out on the field and they're like, "What are you talking about?" You know, they're talking about that the application they they drill into and they open up the application and um, you know, 
and they and they know everything that that they have to know to to go through that application. So um, obviously, there's always room for improvement. So they're always update updating that application and everything. So when it comes down, when someone tries to do a, a change to the application, they they'll say, "Oh, I want a, an icon up here, or I want this over here, or whatever." And so what happens in the testing is that they'll go in, they'll say, I want, okay, I want to put this up here, this icon up here, and they do it and they test it. And uh, they only test to make sure that they see that icon up there. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I put in there. I put it in there and that makes sense. You put it out and, and all of a sudden you get all of this other information in there and it all, all of a sudden that button or that whatever is happening doesn't work right or or something just breaks and it just stops because it doesn't it it didn't have the robust testing the regression it testing it, to see what other things testing. yeah to see what other things were impacted yeah exactly. regression testing making sure and when i say regression testing i don't say that a lot because people don't understand what that means yep. and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up so regression testing is is putting a full load of test data in there so that it ch it checks for everything that could happen so how do you think that affects the frontline workers? Are you suggesting that that just kind of stalls the process of, of the implementation? Or do you think that there's a, an actual impact on the, the recipients of that change in some way? Um, well, it can have, uh, as far as an impact, uh, if they don't test it right and something goes out there. Uh, like I said before, we had a situation where they didn't do the regression testing. Yeah. And um there was data in there from production that wasn't in test. And so it caused the, the system to crash. And, um, and I don't know, like I said, I wasn't a, a part of the problem management of that to understand what exactly happened. Yep. But I, I do know that because of that, um, our questions became, did not, did you test that, but did you regression test that? Did you make sure that there was enough test data or production data in the testing environment to make sure that it's going to work properly when it gets out there for to production. Yeah. I, I think I've told the story before on the podcast, but I had an experience with a driver in a delivery organization, not unlike your former employer. And he expressed that he was anxious about the upcoming change that was going to happen in his organization. And, and I was trying to draw out from him why he was so concerned about this. And one of the things he said that's just stuck with me is when something doesn't work right, I'm the one standing out there in front of the customer and I feel like I'm on an island. Mm -hmm. And that was such a powerful statement to me. It just every day I think I, I must think about that scenario. The, the island visual to me was a super important thing because when we have men and women that do their job away from our offices, they're out in the field somewhere, they're doing deliveries, they're fixing equipment in the field and stuff like that they they have the added burden of having to suffer through some of those technology changes very much on their own and while they may only be a phone call away you know or a support ticket away they're standing in front of the customer mm -hmm. trying to be the face of our company to that customer and here they are having some kind of glitch with the solution and what struck me about that was that he wasn't talking about the current technology he was sharing scar tissue that he still was carrying around from previous changes. And that was a really powerful moment because I said, here, this engagement that we're involved with today 
is affected by an experience that this man had on a previous project. Almost a PTSD. It is like PTSD. <laughs> it is exactly like that. And so he was coming into this new change now with a heightened sense of anxiety, vulnerability, frustration. These were words that he actually used, right? And, and that, that's to me what was so powerful is that, you know, he was a, essentially he was a, a route sales delivery driver for a food and beverage distribution company. And here he is sharing with me in the cab of his truck, these words, stress, anxiety, frustration, right? These are the actual words that he used. And it just, it was such a powerful moment for me because I realized that, no matter how well we take care of change management on this project right now, today, and going forward, we have to acknowledge that we're dealing with the way that these employees have experienced change in their past. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate, but it's a reality, right? And so uh, we've got a lot of credibility to earn back with some of these men and women who have been through this change many times before. There's some amount of them rolling their eyes saying, oh, sure, you've got it all dialed in this time. I'm sure you've tested it all right. And, you know, they're rolling their eyes because they've been through that experience where that didn't happen in the past. And any, any suggestions on how we can power through that and, and perhaps give those users a better experience today while recognizing, you know, the, the scar tissue that they have from before? Well, I think, you know, this isn't really part of the change management process that, you know, that I do. But in, in applications, uh, I, I, I see that it really helped, especially those people that are like that, um, to get their feedback and not only get their feedback, but to pull them into the process of testing, um, pull them into the process of, hey, what do you think about this, you know, and, and get all their, you know, and then just say, you know, you're going to be, you know, it really helps to pull them in. They get ownership of it. And when they get ownership of that, when it comes out, they're the persons that are going to get out there in front of you to say to all of their people that are going to say, hey, this is coming. I worked on it. You know, it works well. It's, I guess you're going to love it, you know, and we're going to I'm going to get on there before, you know, everyone else does once it goes. And that's another thing. One of the things that we do, uh, we call it a post invitation um, a review that we make sure that, bef you know, we try to make sure before it gets out to the customer that someone's out there testing it in production, that it's out there that, you know, so that before people start, like a ton of people start working on it. So those are the people that we would look at, we call them, you know, super users or whatever. We'd say, hey, you know, we're gonna put it in on, you know, Saturday morning and no one's gonna be able to get into it until Monday, but can you get out there on, you know, Saturday morning and do some things, you know, try to, try to break it, try to see what you can find out, you know, make sure that, that it works right. And that really helps that ownership. Um, and when other people see, when, other, when his peers see that he's working on something, it really kind of gives them a little bit of a, a little bit of better, you know, what you call the warm and fuzzies. Okay, it's gonna work better this time. So I think that's important. Some of my favorite tech implementation memories are from, you know, large scale projects with, uh, leadership that implemented very similarly to what you just described. And um, I, I know we're already running short on the end of the call here, so I'm not going to tell the full story, but one of the best examples was an airline that had pulled in some of the, the toughest people from the field and some of the best people from the field, and they brought them together into this group. And then when they, they, they would have periodic meetings throughout the planning and design and development phase of the project, and they, they pulled in those workers, and then they were able to disperse those workers back out to become essentially evangelists for the change 
right. way ahead of when it was actually going to happen. And it was such a great thing to witness to see how they really converted some of the naysayers in the organization into being really a part of the solution. And it was fantastic to watch. And they had, they had a big cutover that they had to do all at one time. And so this, this added focus on change management far leading up, you know, leading way ahead of, of the actual implementation was just, you know, super important. And it was fun to see it be implemented successfully. And it was very similar to what you just described. Yeah, really, it, they, you know, yeah, IT has a lot of, a lot of, um, uh, I don't know how to say it, but yeah, yeah, this have a, a lot of uh, going back and making sure that the users are, are, are okay with everything. So I think that's a good story. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, or do you think that change management strategy and tactics should be the same for frontline workers? as they are for other kind of corporate employees that do their job primarily at a desk with a laptop or desktop versus those men and women who are out in the field or out working in DCs in the supply chain and logistics operations using primarily mobile devices. Are, are the strategies and tactics the same for both of those? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we use, uh, we don't really discriminate against, or I say discriminate, but there's no real difference between the users. In fact, you know, some of the, uh, biggest impacts, you know, if, if, it, you know, that's the first thing you ask for when you, when, when you're trying to find out who's impacted, because they'll say, you know, and, and I had so many examples where, you know, you'd have, oh, we're just, we're just changing this, we're just changing this. And then you find out, oh, by the way, you know, the CEO uses that. And if he doesn't have access to it, he's going to be really mad. So you got to make sure you understand who is, is going to be impacted by this. It could be, um, you know, we had uh, my previous company. We had certain times when, um, when account the accounting people had to have access to the system. So during that time, you'd have blackouts, and you has you can't you can't make changes during that time because they are head you know heads down. They got a they got a deadline, and they can't have any slowdowns. They can't have the networks bogged down. We can't have any changes during that time. Um, obviously, you know, some companies like my previous company, Christmas and, you know, all those times are big, big things for big times for, um, for soda companies and chip companies to make money. So they say no changes during that time. Um, but there are the whole company, it doesn't matter if they're the, the, you know, person going to, you know, to the stores or if it's someone in corporate, um, every job, uh, is important. And that person that's getting impacted um, it's important to them, and uh, they're and and in fact, the people that are in the corporate headquarters usually can can get those uh, uh, escalated pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. No, it, it's really interesting the way you uh, you know you kind of describe that, and I think what what we're seeing as we talk this through on uh, on the podcast series is just that there's such a an individual element to change management of thinking about, you know, I, I think coming into this uh, series of conversations, I've really thought about it more as a group dynamic. And I think what I've learned from a lot of the change management pros that we've talked to here is, of course, there is still a group element of this because we are dealing with, you know, large number of employees, but that at some point we've got to bring it down to the individual and say, how are each, how is each individual impacted uh, by this? 
And the strategies aren't necessarily different, but they may learn in different ways and they may absorb, you know, content in different ways and things like that. And so we've, we've kind of got to build the process for the individual and the group at the same time, you know, and it's, it's, uh, you know, your role is very challenging, obviously, as a result of that. <laughs> it is, it is very challenging. I love it. I love it. Well, that's actually what I wanted to ask you next. I was, my very next question is, what do you love most about working with technology? And I'm, I'm excited to hear your answer because you have a background as a developer all the way up to now as a change management professional. Uh, what do you love about working with technology? Um, I have, gosh, I've been in, I've been, my, my, so in, in the early 70s, my dad was, uh, selling computers, selling mid-range computers. Uh, so I got a, I got a really big taste of that when I was young and just the, um, the, I don't, you know, I don't know what it, what it's about technology. I just, I love all of it. And I love being a change manager because you get to hear about everything. You, I mean, as a change manager, you're hearing about all the new stuff, all the things that are going on, all, you know, uh, that's kind of, why I like it so much because I like to understand what's going on in the whole company and and what one little change can really impact so many people and hopefully it's a good impact and most of the time it is a good impact and and um, you know that's what we're here for that's what we're we're trying to increase the um, the user experience and also make money for the company so um, that's, that's all, uh, you know, as a, as a, as a technology person, I think that's what drives me. You know, improving the employee experience and making money for the company shouldn't be seen as mutually exclusive, right? You <laughs> should be able to do both. And, right. and I think that's, that's one of the things that we really advocate for is, is just, um, or, or just remind ourselves and, and our clients that, the, the user experience can be improved, the employee experience can be improved, and we can still reach the business objectives. In fact, we're probably more likely to reach the business objectives if we spend a little time proactively thinking about the user experience, right? The employee experience. And th those are lessons that we can learn from the consumer technology space, right? All of these consumer platforms, Netflix, Amazon, Facebook, all these platforms that we use spent a lot of time thinking about our user experience and they've got it dialed in perfectly. And so there's very little friction with our use of those platforms. And if we applied some of the learnings to the employee experience of our tech innovation, to what we draw from, from the consumer markets, uh, we would actually be better able to achieve the business results at the same time, right? Employees are people too. And right. their interaction with the technology, the smoother it is, the, the less friction there is to them adopting that technology, the more we can plan and communicate and all the things you've talked about today, uh, the, the better those innovations will be adopted and therefore the results will be better in the organization. Right. Yeah. And the more money you make. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's exactly right. What, what are some of the disadvantages? Anything come to mind about some of the disadvantages of working with technology that maybe uh, get under your skin or frustrate you? Um, about technology, I, I guess, you know, the, if you're going to talk about something that's a, that's a kind of a downer sometimes with technology is, is seeing, because in, in tech, you kind of hear about things that go on before things happen. So uh, like, you know, plants that get um, better technology yet use less people, um, that yeah. can be, you know, uh, kind of a downer, you know, that's coming, you know, that people are going to be, uh, you know, losing uh, their jobs because of the technology. Um, and you just hope that they can, you know, get go somewhere else and get, you know, 
do the same thing. But it, that's kind of the the worst part about technology. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and yet, you know, right now, it seems that most of the clients that we're talking to, the companies that we're talking to are really struggling with the other side. They're struggling to get enough people to do the right. jobs that they need alongside the technology. So many of these jobs will require the use of technology, but the, the tech hasn't been used to replace those roles. Um, at least right now, it seems that the clients we're talking with are really struggling to ramp up and, and fill out their teams. They've all got a backlog of, of hiring that, um, you know, they're trying to fill out those roles. So that's encouraging for the moment. Right. And, um, it, you know, it, it doesn't have to put such a black eye on, on tech innovation for, you know, the efficiency gains that you're describing before. So that, that right. makes a lot of sense. Well, we're coming up uh, to the end here. Um, we, and, and for suffering, uh, you know, through the podcast with me for 45 minutes, you are officially now extended an invitation to come join the rest of the group on a new community that we have just formed literally in the last uh, couple of days called the Frontline Innovators Council. And um, I know you and I have touched on this briefly, but for the rest of the audience who isn't aware, all of the guests of the Frontline Innovators podcast will be invited to participate in a private group that we've set up now on LinkedIn called the Frontline Innovators Council. And the purpose of this is really to extend the conversations that we're having here in the podcast and bring them into a private forum that we're hosting on LinkedIn to continue to raise the awareness of change management and digital transformation initiatives specifically to the needs of frontline workers and to bring a community together from a variety of industries and with a variety of backgrounds, even guys that used to develop for mainframes with COBOL uh, and bring them into the group uh, so that we can all learn, so that we can all share ideas, share lessons learned and uh, really develop a community around this. So Corbin would like to uh, invite you to that group uh, after today, you'll get an invitation through LinkedIn to uh, come join us. And if you know of others, that uh, you know would benefit from being a part of that group. The the fee for entry is to come and participate on the podcast. So we'd love uh, you know referrals to other folks that might want to participate with the podcast and be able to contribute to the audience and uh, inside that group as well. Okay. Well, I feel very honored uh, to be on the podcast, and uh, I would be very honored to be to to join all that. We we look forward to having it. So we do need to wrap up uh, today's podcast. So thank you very much for participating. And to our audience, I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. Uh, if so, we could really use your help in rating the podcast. Five-star ratings do help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit our website at skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L.com. And if you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, we'd love to hear more about it. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story. And we'll see you on our next episode. Thanks, everybody. 